Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. February 7th, men, we only have one week left to prepare for Valentine's Day. I hope that you're doing your uh, your diligence. I've got Mrs. Malfris and uh, Isabella to plan for myself, and it's only two weeks away until Mrs. Malfris's birthday, which uh, which we're all excited about. So I've got lots of plans to make, but nevertheless, uh, men, make sure that you're planning. It's good to be with y'all today. I hope that this finds everybody doing very well. It's Wednesday, so if you are local to our area, I'd invite you to come out to Old Providence, 645 tonight. Um, maybe you won't get this until after 645 on Wednesday. Lord willing, next Wednesday we'll be here at 645, but 645 every Wednesday, we go from 645 to 730, nice short time together, but we are focusing right now on the book of Hebrews, and I'm excited about this study and, uh, and that opportunity as well. It's very much like this. It's chapter by chapter, verse by verse, except Hebrews really is a Bible study where we go in depth into the verses and we talk about the different implications. And so anyway, I, I very much enjoy that sort of thing. And I think that you may too. And I know that you would be blessed by, uh, by time with other believers. So if you're here, we'd love to have you. If not, that's okay too. I'm happy to have this time with you. And again, I hope it finds all of you doing very well. Now, we made it through chapter 20 yesterday in Acts. Today we pick up in chapter 21, and we have in some ways just a, a, a gut-wrenching thing going on where Paul has been compelled by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 20, verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. And then he goes on to talk about how the Spirit has been showing him that, that trouble and hardship. At verse 23, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Okay? Uh, Paul doesn't know the circumstances of his going. He just knows it's time to go. And y'all, when it's time to go, it's time to go. And I'm talking about this in the context of Paul. This is the case in anyone's life. You know, sometimes we make the mistake. There's lots of things that John Calvin really spent a lot of time talking about, right? And and people tend to focus on what they call Calvinism, which John Calvin, I, I don't think, would appreciate that term in the slightest bit. After all, you're talking about a man that had himself buried in an unmarked grave just to avoid people... Um, <laughs> paying homage to him, you know, memorializing him, all those different things. He he was very much the definition of, of what Paul talked about. I've got to decrease so that Christ can increase. So the, the fact that there's a system of theology named after him, he would not appreciate in the slightest bit. But people talk about Calvinism, the sovereignty of God, election, predestination. But one of the most important things that he spent a lot of time talking about was that there is no hierarchy of calling. Okay, we're talking about Paul here. Obviously, Paul was of, of great importance, right? One of the principal writers of the New Testament, the one that God called for himself to do much of the early church planting and building the church. It's through Paul that we find so much theology. Without a doubt, Paul is of vast importance. However, um, realizing that we all have a calling from God, it's equally important that you and I do what we're called to do as the followers of Christ. 
And it's the Lord's business what, what he calls us to do. Calvin taught about this hierarchy of calling, and namely that there isn't a hierarchy of calling. That, And I talked about this a few days ago, but God's calling for you is what he has for you, and that's the best way to glorify him and enjoy him is when you follow that calling. With Paul, that calling took him away from these people that he loved, and it was taking him to Jerusalem, and it was a painful proposition because he didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew that something was going to happen, but he went because he was faithful. And the reality is that that happens with preachers too. Y'all, sometimes it's time for pastors to go. And the only reason they do go is when they're compelled by the Holy Spirit to go. And when it's time, it's time. And you got to go. Because this life that we lead is not our life. Belonging to Christ, we must submit to him. But here's the thing. Forget about even, forget about apostles, forget about pastors. Y'all, this is true for you. And it's true for you, not just in a vocational sense. When God calls you to go, you got to go. And sometimes he calls you out of various situations in life, right? Let me be clear. There are some situations that God is never calling you out of. Like, for instance, oh, I don't know, marriage, okay? Um, now, certainly there are biblical grounds for divorce. I ain't talking about that. One of my Facebook friends put recently, ladies, God will never send you another woman's husband. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And that's true. That's, that's dead right, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. But relationships in life, Sometimes the Lord is calling you to go out of those. Certainly vocational, and it doesn't have to just be the ministry. Sometimes the Lord is calling you to leave a particular workplace or a particular work environment. Sometimes the Lord is calling you to leave a church or a place that calls itself a church. Now, this is not what today's focus is, and I realize we haven't even prayed yet, but the reality of this is, I've talked about this before, you need, many times, you need to be a regular part of a Bible-believing church. You dig? There are lots and lots of churches out there that are apostate, okay? They're part of denominations that are apostate. They have turned on Christ. They do not hold his word as being his word. They do not confess Jesus Christ alone. You don't need to be in those places. You need to be out. And sometimes the Lord calls us out of those places. I mean, the, the list goes on and on, but it comes down to this. When it's time to go, it's time to go. When it's time to do, it's time to do. There's a reason why the Lord has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell inside us. And no, it's not just what Paul talked about in Romans, that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That's part of it, okay? The Holy Spirit guarantees God's people, that they will one day be with him in glory because God's not going to send his Holy Spirit to hell, okay? It's as simple as that. But don't reduce the Holy Spirit to that. We're given the Holy Spirit as the helper. Remember, Jesus talked about this, how I have to send back and you know, all these different things. I'm sending my Holy Spirit to you to be the helper, our guide, the one that convicts, the one that empowers, the one that enables, the one that directs. In the case of Paul, in the case of you, in the case of me, sometimes the Holy Spirit compels. But the beauty of it is this. The Holy Spirit doesn't just compel. The Holy Spirit enables. And we're going to see that today. 
Let's pray and we'll dig in. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. And um, uh, what a blessing it is that we are not alone, that you have given us one another. Yes, you've called us to be a part of the church, but also you've given us your Holy Spirit, your spirit dwelling within us to guard, guide, and protect. Please let us listen. And in listening, let us yield and be faithful. Thank you for Paul's example and for the example of your Holy Spirit always enabling us to do what you're calling us to do. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so what am I talking about this enabling? Chapter 21, and by the way, enabling is not always a bad thing. In the modern context, you hear about enabler. Usually an enabler is someone that helps you make poor decisions and enables you to continue making them. Enablement is not always a bad thing as we're about to see. The Holy Spirit enables us to do what God is calling us to do. But before we even get to that, we continue on with the dialogue here. We finish chapter 20, we pick up in chapter 21, and if you had any doubt about the kind of, of, of exit that Paul made, if you had any doubt about his heart on this matter, Y'all, it's possible for someone to be compelled by the Holy Spirit that it's time to go and to still be heartbroken about it. It's possible for God to call you to do something and at the same time for it to cause you great sorrow to do it. Not because you're angry at God, but because you're submitting to him. And emotions are powerful. Connections are powerful. If you want evidence of that, Acts 21, verse 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. I got to say it, y'all. There's a reason, pause for a second, there's a reason that Luke uses this terminology. And again, did you catch it? He's using the we there. So we know this is an eyewitness account. But he said, we pour ourselves from them. There is an anguish here. Y'all, I got to tell you, sometimes there's an anguish to following the Holy Spirit. That's just the fact of the matter. Sometimes it very much hurts to follow the Holy Spirit. Um, again, it goes back to this paradigm of what Christianity is really all about. And at its core, what Christianity is really all about is the fact that God saved us from death so that we could live. He saved us from sin so that we could have life in Christ. But y'all, in that salvation, there is also a dedication on our part, not because we've got to, but because we get to. And this goes back to the paradigm given by our Savior, Matthew 16, 25, and elsewhere, where whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever wants to, whoever loses his life for me and my name's sake will save it. That's what you find going on with Luke and especially with Paul here, where Paul is following the Lord. But boy, is it difficult. Nevertheless, Verse 21 or chapter 21, verse one. After we had torn ourselves away from them, then he talks about ended up in Patara. Verse two, 
We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we strayed, or, or we stayed with them, not strayed. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Now, something very interesting is revealed. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and their children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. Y'all, we face an interesting uh, juncture here. A juncture where it's like, okay, well, which one is it? Is Paul being led by the Spirit or are these people being led by the Spirit? As we read in verse four, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So how does Paul know which Spirit to listen to? Well, y'all realize this. It doesn't say here that they were convinced by the Spirit that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. What it says here is that they urged him not to go through the Spirit. What does this mean? Well, we don't exactly know, but the best explanation, in my opinion, is this. Remember what we read back in chapter 20, verse 23? or well, 22, Paul said, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. This is kind of the same paradigm. It's like, well, which one is it? Is he being compelled by the spirit to go or is he being warned by the spirit not to go? No. What Paul is being, what's being done to Paul is Paul is being prepared. He's being warned, not a warning as in, hey, stay away from these places, but a warning as in, hey, you better get ready. And what we find here is not the Holy Spirit telling these people, no, Paul shouldn't go. Try to keep him from going to Jerusalem. I don't think that's what you see at all because the Holy Spirit never fights against himself. Remember, the Holy Spirit proceeds from God the Father and God the Son to accomplish the will, all of those different things. So the Holy Spirit never contradicts itself. Instead, what you find is people that love Paul very much. And I think what's going on with them is that just like Paul has been prepared for what's going to happen, they're being prepared too. Now, it's not necessarily sinful for them to do this. They're speaking to him out of love. This is not the same as take Mark chapter 8 when when Jesus talked about being crucified and Peter said, no, Lord, may it never be. Peter, remember what Jesus said? You have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. That's not what's going on here. Don't compare the two because they do not compare. What you have here is people, disciples that dearly love Paul. And they don't want to see these terrible things happen to them, these terrible things that that have been revealed to them. They know it. They know what's coming. But nevertheless, uh, as we read, verse 5, when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. Yet again, this is an example of being compelled by the Holy Spirit. And when it's time to go, it's time to go but it doesn't mean that the affections are not powerful, that it doesn't hurt. Verse seven, we continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemais, where we were greeted by the brothers and stayed with them for a day. 
Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had found, or excuse me, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Pause for a moment. What do we make of this? But all of a sudden, we, we hear all of these different things. Back what we read in verse 23, mysteriously, the Holy Spirit's telling Paul, hey, trouble is coming. There, when, when, when he's dealing with the brothers previously, they're all warning him. They're, they're entire, right? The disciples there are warning him about this, but telling him, trying to compel him not to go. They've been shown. Then we find out from, from, from Philip. Yeah, the same Philip we dealt with before. Philip, Philip is there right? And he's got these four daughters who also prophesy. We don't get what they say, but I think what this is hinting at is they too are saying the same thing. And then this dude shows up, y'all. This is one of the reasons I love the scriptures, right? Every once in a while, I've actually done some sermons on this. I've done a sermon series on what I've called the man of God. And the man of God is no one to be trifled with. And we see the man of God show up all throughout the scriptures. There are notable examples of people just showing up. We don't know who they are. They leave and we never see them again. We don't know what's in their background. But yet we don't know. It. All we know is this guy named Agabus comes there and he's a prophet and he speaks. He reveals, he says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. God has revealed this to Agabus. God, through his Holy Spirit, breathed out this portion of his word through Agabus, and Luke recorded it. And you see Agabus do what the prophets of old would do. But Jeremiah did this kind of stuff. I'm going to go buy a plot of land over here. By the way, when you look at what the prophets do, don't take that as regulative because the Lord had prophets. And I don't mean the principles behind what they do. I mean like the physical actions of prophets, right? Jeremiah went and bought a plot of land that was going to be worthless because Babylon was going to come and take everything. But he bought it anyway so that he would have the deed and so that it pointed to the fact that one day the people are going to return. Y'all, that does not mean that you and I need to go buy a plot of land somewhere. Jeremiah, you know, buried a belt and then came and dug it up and beat the tar out of it in front of everybody. Doesn't mean that we need to do that. Agabus here, prophets of old. Y'all, it wasn't just the words. Many, many times it was physical actions. They did word pictures. You know, this idea of taking Paul's belt and binding himself with it and saying, this is going to happen to the owner of this belt. And it's going to be the, the Jews of Jerusalem are going to hand them over to the Gentiles. Again, mystery. I love it. I love it. We don't even know who this is. He's there and then he's gone. But earlier I talked about this. I told you this was coming. It's this idea of being compelled by the Holy Spirit, but not necessarily liking it. Being compelled by the Holy Spirit that when it's time to go, it's time to go. And yet there can be agony. But the beautiful thing is this. When the Holy Spirit compels you to do something, when the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something, it's never a, all right now, go on, get it done. Come back to me when you're finished. Mm -mm. 
The Holy Spirit always enables us to do what God is calling us to do. Even when what God is calling us to do seems unthinkable at the time. Because you see, it is in our faithfulness that the Lord is faithful. It's in our lack of faithfulness that the Lord is faithful too. But y'all, the Lord blesses that obedience. And when you step out in faith and when you trust the Lord, the Lord enables you by his Holy Spirit to do what he's calling you to do. How do I know this? Verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Now Luke's part of it, okay? All along, Luke is recording how all these other people are telling Paul, hey, listen, don't do it, man. Don't go there. Please listen to us. Don't go to Jerusalem. And now Luke has joined in with them. Agabus made things real, you see. It reeked of the prophets of old, the, the word pictures of old, right? Even Luke is trying to stop it. And yet the Holy Spirit enables. The Holy Spirit empowers. How do I know this? Verse 13, then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Y'all, how do I know that the Holy Spirit enables? How do you know that the Holy Spirit is even in something to begin with? Paul doesn't pull any punches. He asks them why they're weeping, but he also asks them, why are you breaking my heart? It doesn't mean that Paul doesn't want to stay with them, that he's leaving. In fact, I think he betrays here that on his own, yeah, very much he wants to stay. And it breaks his heart that he's still got to go. But y'all, this is not machismo. Okay, this is not Paul just being some bad dude, you know, ready to roll, all that kind of stuff. No, this isn't him being a macho man. This courage, it's not Paul's. This determination, it's not something he worked up in himself. What we have seen here, that Paul would not be dissuaded. It's interesting here because it talks about disciples from Caesarea. What we see in Paul is the same determination that we see in Jesus in Mark 8 at Caesarea Philippi, right? Where he turns and he set his face toward Jerusalem, as we read there. What do you see from Paul? He would not be dissuaded. And so Luke and the others gave up and he set his face toward Jerusalem. That is nothing that we work up in ourselves. What we have seen for all of its sorrow, for all of its sadness, for all of its mystery, what we have just read is testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit that never leaves you high and dry, that never leaves you wondering or wandering, but instead, God, through his Holy Spirit, calls you to faith calls you to trust, 
calls you to obey and leave the consequences to him. And it's in these things that the Lord empowers us and enables us to do that which seems impossible. Even looking at a group of people that are in agony, Paul knows that they love him. He knows that they want him to stay. He knows that they don't want these things to happen to him. But it's time to go. And so he goes. And as they said, the Lord's will be done. Indeed, it would be. We'll read about that when we get to it. Don't worry, we'll get there. But nevertheless, not only would the will of God be done, glory to God would be given. What does this mean for you and me? I think it means that you and me, I don't think, I know it means that you and me, we need to be paying attention to how the Holy Spirit is calling us. And not just in terms of the grandiose things, the everyday things, what we do and why we do it. We must yield to the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray that you would work in our hearts in light of this. We thank you for Paul. What a testimony. But at the same time, it's you. It's you. Thank you for working in his heart in such powerful ways. Give us grateful hearts, faithful hearts. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Maybe I'll see you tonight. I hope that I will. If not, blessings all the same and uh, looking forward to being back with you tomorrow. Take care.